It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to The Plodcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. I'm Fergus Collins and I'm your host. And this week we're off to Dartmoor, scene of one of the biggest countryside stories of the year so far. Back in January, the High Court upheld an action brought by local landowners and ruled that there was no right to wild camp on Dartmoor. Now, wild camping has been enjoyed on Dartmoor for decades, really. And that essentially means it's camping without the landowner's permission. And people have generally believed that this right is included in the Dartmoor Commons Act of 1985. However, the High Court didn't agree. The result was that thousands of protesters headed to Dartmoor to protest the decision and assert the right to roam and to camp. Our own Maria Hodson joined them to look at the whole issue and assess what happens next. It's Saturday 21st of January and I am walking with hundreds if not thousands as that young boy said you might not have caught it of people onto Stallmoor on Dartmoor we've been walking from Cornwood up to Stallmoor in order to raise the spirit of old Crocon the walk was about an hour and a half along windy roads at quite a slow pace because due to the sheer number of people attending and I'm now on Stallmore itself. People are gathering here in their hundreds if not thousands to protect the right to roam or rather to protest the loss of their right to roam which was a right held here the only place in England and Wales that it was legal to wild camp. That right was overturned, that right was revoked in January in a court judgment uh, in a case brought by the landowner 
Alexander Darwell against the Dartmoor National Park Authority. It's a beautiful winter's day. The sun's shining, the sky's clear. It's actually a lovely opportunity for a walk as well as a protest. And that might explain the, the extraordinary turnout as well. The view is spectacular and people have gathered to talk, sing, uh, protest and enjoy nature. I'm Claire. Claire thank Lizzie. You. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you very much. Um, I was just wondering what it was that brought you to Dartmoor today. Um, just to support the cause of like making it so people can still wild camp without having to ask for the privilege. Because like everyone sort of our age has had that opportunity, whereas younger people have still not had that chance and might never do if we don't try and revoke the, you know policy to stop it um and the same question to you actually what brought you here today yeah i mean very similar reasons really i think it's just something that's it's always meant a lot to me to be able to sleep outside and have that connection to wilderness so for that to be taken away from people not just myself but young people everybody it's uh yeah something that really we need to push back and try to prevent where we can and uh, have you both wild camped before and have you wild camped on Dartmoor before? Um, I, ha- I have stayed on Dartmoor before, um, but only once, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Once or many times? Well, many times in different places yeah. and a couple of times on Dartmoor. Um, and what for you is, uh, what, what is the appeal of wild camping as opposed to kind of permit camping and campsites, etc.? For me, it's just a completely different experience because you have that connection to a wild space um, and it's quiet, so you know, it's more private as well. So you, yeah, you go into that natural environment in a very different way to in a campsite, which has its own benefits, but it's, yeah, it's just a completely different experience for me. And same question to you, what's the, what's the appeal of wild camping? I think it's that you can do like a big stretch of the countryside as a walk and actually have somewhere to stay rather than having to come back to civilization to get a room somewhere or even campsites aren't in the wilderness so there's not you can't really argue that they're the same thing because you know if you're doing like the Duke of Edinburgh say when you're younger you're not going to be able to do it without being able to just stop off wherever the route's taking you so that's my reasoning (laughs) and do you both uh do you work in areas that are aligned to the environment or are you um is 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 kind of getting out into the countryside a hobby or something you do regularly like what's your connection to nature um well it's just a recreational thing to me like i work as a gardener so i suppose there's some connection but i don't work as a ranger or anything so it's you know you don't you just don't get that opportunity anywhere in in england anyway as uh to experience, I suppose it's experiencing life as we would have lived hundreds of years ago, really. And uh, again, same question to you, do you work in, in an area connected to national parks or environment, or is this something that's a, a, a passion, but a kind of a personal one? 
It's definitely a personal passion. I also do work in environmental protection. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been something that's really important to me for when I've been a tiny kid. Thank you very much. I'm here with Ian Rhodes and Shumba, the Border Collie, and we're standing a bit higher up on the hill overlooking the crowd, which is just getting bigger and bigger and looking quite beautiful with the sun setting in the distance. Um, Ian, can you tell me why you're here and why this cause is close to your heart? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm here because uh, partly I'm, I'm fed up that uh, we are having our rights taken away. Um, Dartmoor's a, a very um, special place to me. I grew up nearby. I'm a Tentors leader, a scout leader. Uh, I've wild camped up here for the last 30 years. Um, and I don't want to see it taken away, not for myself, but for future generations. All my children have wild camped and I see scouts and what they get out of it. Um, it's a wonderful thing to reconnect with nature and be up here and, and to have that taken away is not right. The, the, the national parks are for people to come and enjoy in whatever way that might be. Um, but wild camping is definitely recreational. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we've reached a compromise or seen a compromise deal, but we're still losing a lot of land. We're still going to be very much at the whim of the landowners should they decide to take that permission away. And of course, we're also having to see taxpayers' money go into already deep pockets of landowners. Um, so all of this feels like an injustice. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of this in other ways uh, over the last few years. And for me, it, it felt like I've had enough, really, and I want to come and uh, sort of be part of it and be with other like-minded people and, uh, and share our feelings of, of, of anger and, and being fed up, really. And you say you've wild camped here many, many times as a scout leader and for, you know, personal enjoyment and your children have. Have you always understood it to be that there is a right to roam? Because I think the court judgment sort of said, agree, so I agreed with the landowner that this right didn't actually exist. Is that your understanding? Yeah, I think we've always held Dartmoor. Um, it's always been the place in England where you c can still wild camp. That, um, and Scotland's the other, only other place you can do that in the UK. So I think there's an understanding that it's a special permission um, on Dartmoor that you can still wild camp. Um, and I guess then, then the, the next piece of knowledge is where exactly on Dartmoor you can wild camp, because it's not anywhere. Um, and yeah, there's obviously those who are uh, more informed and educated about what wild camping means um, and you know that you leave no trace um, and you arrive late and go early and things like that and and obviously there's a minority that that you know uh, don't understand that um, and they're citing some of those examples in the in the ruling I think for why this shouldn't be allowed for everybody. It's a very good point you raised. That is absolutely worth talking about. Yes, so um, that was one of the arguments, that people are not treating the land respectfully, that the reason that they want to revoke the right to work camp is because of the amount of litter that's being generated and poor treatment of the land. Uh, what's your response to that charge? Um, I think that's going to happen, whether you, you make it um, legal or not to come up onto Dartmoor. You know, you're still going to have people that will, you know, come up who don't either understand or, or care for the environment and, and the rules. Um, so I don't think that this ruling is going to change that to any degree. Um, and yes, there have been, obviously, during the pandemic, it's an increased pressure as campsites have been closed. People have come up onto the moors. Um, and I think even... You know, the, the social media and things like that. People are posting p 
pictures and it's becoming a little bit more, I guess, uh, popular or accessible than it has been. Um, so that in turn brings with it more challenges and, and demands on the more, but uh, I don't think banning it is the way to go. It's more about education, isn't it, of what you should do if you do wild camp and, and, um, and, and you know, enforcing the message of looking after the environment and leaving no trace. This doesn't seem to be the, the way to go to me. Cheers, Ian. Thank you. in our imagination 
When we gather here, we start to tell stories. And blessedly, there's very often not a phone signal. That in itself is a wonderful thing. So what I'm going to ask, I'm going to say something now, and then I'm going to ask you to say it back. We are Crocken. We are Crocken. Take that deep into you, take that deep into your secret little mischievous heart. <laughs> and I hope in some way today, I know we're tired, I know we're a little cold, but I hope our, our imagination is baptised by what is happening now. And I hear a rumour, and it is only a rumour, that Crocken may be taking a shape, may be willing to manifest in front of us in some fashion. So what I'm going to ask us to do now, to bring Crocken into this place, is to grow a little quieter, to still ourselves. And what I'd ask you to do is hold in your heart someone that isn't here today that could really do with a bit of this goodness. Maybe they're sick, maybe they couldn't make it, maybe it's a child maintenance issue. But in some way, let the beauty that is here radiate out. Because the kind of activism we're involved with is all about delight. It's about delight. It's about wonder. It's about goodness. It's about all the things that Dartmoor always does to us. We come up here in a, tra in a transactional frame of mind. We leave in a transformational. That's about all I have to say. My name is Martin Shaw and I arrived here many years ago in a tent and it was so lovely I stayed. Now, as I said, grow quiet, go into yourself, call on whoever you feel needs to be here and let's see if over the next few minutes something arrives. Thank you. Crocken just made his way past a grey figure with trailing ribbons followed by a, a group of musicians 
in a, an array of outfits, pointy ears, looking like little characters from folklore. And the drums are beating, flags are flying, old horns blowing. And people are starting to follow old Crocken down the hill, back down the hill, having summoned his spirit on the moors. We've been asked to take something of his spirit with us. Here he is dancing. <laughs> There's a pause. A ring of people around Old Crocken. Drums are rising and the sun is setting. It's quite dramatic. So I left the protesters and old Crocken up on the moor. Later that week, I caught up with Sam Lee, folk singer and activist with the Right to Rome campaign, who had a lot to say on the issue. I'm here with Sam Lee, folk musician and activist with Right to Rome. Um, Sam, could you tell me why the protest on Saturday was so important and um, what it represented and why you think wild camping is right that the people should have? Well, it's been a, a phenomenal last few weeks since this court case came uh, into being. Firstly, because it was a wake-up call um, to the nation that, um, hey, there is only one place in this country that you could wild camp uh, where it was permitted, um, and that that was being taken away in the most pernicious circumstances of the classic wealthy landowner, hedge fund manager, who um, simply took uh, that... Um, that that permission to court and found that actually it wasn't legally standing 
and uh, has managed to, through his own means, change the law back so that it is now no longer legal without permission. So he's he's taken away one of the very few last rights of access to nature that um, that sleeping under the stars uh, is, how important that is. So it, um, it's triggered this kind of first extraordinary awareness of people like, oh my God, we're losing these rights quickly and uh, we are, we're not in a, in a, although we're in a journey right now of amazing reclamation of our relationship to the land, we're actually losing nature and we're losing access to nature. And so it, it became very kind of um, a, a kind of very du jour moment. That's the wrong term. It became a real kind of zeitgeist moment, bringing together all the passion from all the people who have found out about it. And thus the protest that was set up on Saturday um, drew three over 3,000 people, which is the largest land right protest there's ever been in English history. And just goes to show how deep this runs in our blood and that we have an extraordinary journey ahead of us in fighting and changing the legal standings on what our, uh, our access to nature is. Yes, um, that's a good point. Could you tell me a bit about uh, Right to Roam as an organisation and what it's campaigning for, what it would like to achieve in an ideal world? Absolutely. Well, we only have 8% of, of England do we have the right to roam, unlike Scotland, which uh, gives that, uh, that right for, for anyone to walk, um, you know, with respect, not intruding on people's homes and that sort of thing. But uh, England doesn't. Um, we have footpaths, but we also have uh, the, the trespass laws that we have to oblige by, which is extraordinarily limiting. And the, the impact of that is... Uh, runs in so many different directions in terms of access and what that means, the disenfranchisement of people, the culture of inaccessibility, the physical inaccessibility, and the fear that people have when outdoors of who this, who's, who, where they are and stepping on the, the private landowner's uh, you know, land and the consequences of that. So um, the Right to Roam campaign is about bringing um, a, a legal change uh, to come into parity with Scotland um, and having a, uh, the Bill uh, of, of Access to Nature uh, put through and building up a movement of awareness and campaigns of, uh, of actions where we go and do actual demonstrations and do some trespassing. Uh, we're endorsing that onto mostly big estates of, of uh, landed gentry um, and bringing people of all communities and cultures into those places. Um, and most importantly, while they're acting with the sense of what it will feel like when we do have that right to walk anywhere we like with respect, to swim in our rivers, to wild camp, to behave as though we already have it, to inspire others that the, the, the power of nature to, to heal and support us and make us better humans. One of the arguments I think that came up in court or that um, Alexander Darwell uh, put forward as a reason for wanting to take away the permission to walk out was that people are not being very responsible with the land. Um, the arguments put forward, uh, there was littering, there was poor treatment um, and one of the push-pulls it, it, it seems to be at the moment is that with the greater desire for access to nature and greater accessibility, more people using the land, um, you, 
Is it the case that we're also going to see a pushback from people who feel that the land isn't being treated very well? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, if this is about are we going to see more litter happening if people are now suddenly given the right to access, well, yes, there might be. But there also might be a much bigger contingent of people who spend their time picking up litter or, or maybe doing positive trace work and, and making the land much better. There'll also be uh, generations of people who grow up understanding what it's like to see that litter and change in their behaviour, have that education and that sense of respect as we're encouraged to be more... Uh, to in, uh, encourage to sort of you know support our behaviour to do better when we're out there, the the the, the kind of unbelievability to his argument is that he's a sh- pheasant shooter, and he releases tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of pheasants onto his land every year, to that are uh, that are raised out of this country, released are then shot in their thousands, left to rot, never eaten, fed on. Uh, on grain that is, you know, using up land in really unhealthy ways. Pheasant shooting in, in every way is the most appalling way one can treat land. It devastates other uh, e- ecosystems. Um, it's a complete, you know, species invasion. So he has no leg to stand on in that sense. But of course, that is where he has the upper hand because he has the, the networks and the and, the, and the, the power and the money to take something like this into court so it's a it's a David and Goliath situation and unfortunately in this case Goliath has, has won although I believe that um, the Dartmoor National Park Authority is negotiating some kind of deal with landowners where they will pay a fee as yet undisclosed in order to allow people uh, the right to wild camp so there won't be um, the public won't be paying, but the national park will be the, paying. So, what do you think? What do you well, think about that? As the argument goes, of course, the public are paying are paying for that. You know, if it's if the if the national park are having to now change their budgets and add new lines into it, then that money's got to come from somewhere, and that's going to come from the work they do in restoration, in litter picking, in maintaining of footpaths, in building provisions for people to come access it from outside. All the things the national park are doing are now going to get the squeeze because they've got to go and give money to the landowners who are the last people in the world who need more money. Thank you very much, Sam. I really appreciate you talking to me. (laughs) Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That was a very impassioned Sam Lee talking to our own Maria Hodson about the whole issue of wild camping on Dartmoor. And I'm very pleased to say that Maria joins us in the studio, joins Jack, Hannah and me to talk about this issue. Maria, lovely to see you. Hello, thank you for having me. And lovely to see you both, Hannah Hello. and Jack. Hello. Great. Well, it's nice to nice to be able to kind of put a bit of flesh on the bones of some of these discussions, because Sam, gosh, it really was, it, it had angered him. Yes. It's angered yes. a lot of people. <clears throat> yes, it has. I think that can be seen in the number of people who turned up for the protest protest on Stallmore. Um, it's um, had a huge impact and probably one that wasn't anticipated. Um, in many ways, it's a bit of a technical decision. Does the word recreation in the Dartmoor Commons Act include wild camping or not? And it has possibly startled um, um, many observers to see how this decision has sort of reverberated Probably what we should say to start with is that we did contact, or you did contact uh, Alexander Darwell yes, to I get did. a comment for, for the podcast. Yes, I did. But at the time, uh, the response was that they did not want to, Alexander Darwell did not want to comment on this private matter. That was the, that was the quote, was it, that we got back? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. However, subsequent to that, um, the day before the protest on Stormore, so on the 20th of January, the Darwells did put out a further comment which I can I may I quickly read the bit from their their court uh, yes okay testimony, yeah yeah well, the I mean, statement you know. they gave to the court because that sure. covers some of the, the re- original reasoning um we believe that the need for landowner permission to camp is a vital safeguard and is a crucial element in improving practices camping brings with it a set of problems fires litter antisocial behavior which are not present to nearly the same extent as a result of people exercising the right of access on foot or on horseback This is no doubt the reason why in all other national parks and where public access is under the Countryside and Rights of Way Act 2000, camping requires permission from the landowner. So I think from that we can see that Alexander Zarwal is arguing that it's the irresponsible behaviour on the land, which which has brought him to the point that he's trying to overturn this un- commonly understood <laughs> right. Right, okay, right of, of recreation. Camping. Right of yeah. recreation. Yeah. Very, uh, recreation is doing a lot of the work, isn't mm. it, in this whole debate? Yes, okay. exactly. And then in January 20, they um, have started to work with the Dartmoor National Park Authority. This is the Darwell's estate? Is it, the, da- the, the Blatch- Blatchford estate. Blatchford estate, yeah. um, Uh, Blatchford Estate is pleased to have been able to work quickly and positively with other owners on Dartmoor to permit wild backpack camping on parts of its moorland. Blatchford Estates believes the permissive agreement preserves and facilitates the spirit and ethos of genuine backpack camping. Access is legally enshrined. We hope and expect that wild camping will always be available to all. So... Does that mean then that wild camping is allowed on that estate? Really good question. (laughs) (laughs) Really good question. Everyone is still in the dark. I understand it to be, yes... Wild camping is allow- allowed at the moment because the Blatch- because the Darwells have given permission for camping to continue on the estate. But I think what we need to understand now is that it's all resting on landowners continuing to give permission, whereas what the understanding before had been was that 
the, the landowners weren't really party to this. I it see. was camping was something that the public just fundamentally had a right to do on Dartmoor. Okay, so yes, it's it's that element of not having to ask permission. That is the essence yes. of wild camping. It's yes. sort of adding wild to things. like It's like adding wild swimming. It's just swimming in a river. <laughs> like a, <laughs> without asking permission without or asking paying permission. a fee. That's, or, you know, yes, so, so it's on. the same sort of sense. Yes. Um, obviously, this case was brought, and in that initial statement, it's all about antisocial behaviour, litter, and and other, uh, other elements, un, other undesirable things that might happen. So... What do, I mean, what do we think of that? As a because I know we touched on this in an earlier in a podcast earlier in the season. Obviously, they said there that the camping could probably bring more litter than people just having access, just walking across, spending the day there, whatever. But it'd be interesting to see whether actually, if that is the right case, or whether it's just more noticeable because it's more litter in a concentrated area than I guess if people were hiking, they potentially could drop the same amount of litter but over just a wider spread area, so it's less noticeable. Um, so I think there's a few things like that. I can understand their reasoning, but I feel like there's a, f- a few bits there that just, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how accurate or that some of those are. I, and I think I interviewed, when I was at Stormore, um, a scoutmaster called Ian Rhodes, who pointed out that some of the antisocial behaviour is going to take place whether or not there's well, a, like there's rave, a ride to rave, wild raves, raves, yeah, yeah. wild raves on top of the moon. So, um, fundamentally, what you're doing really is actually taking away rights from people who generally are law-abiding, responsible, and actually it won't serve any good in terms of um, limiting antisocial behaviour. In defence of kind of landowners and farmers, uh, as, as yeah, lockdown did uh, and the pandemic did see a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the countryside taking their sort of journeys out there and perhaps and we do, we we have talked about this a lot that you know perhaps not understanding how to behave and not understanding that you know you really do need to take all your litter home you really do need to close gates you really do need to not sort of chop down trees to make a campfire it's it that happened a lot and i did see a, little, a lot in the brecon beacons where i live and there was a strong reaction from local farmers and landowners that I was very aware of very a lot of upset a lot of you know a lot of people w- with dogs who'd never owned dogs before who'd got a dog for lockdown and then the dogs had chased livestock and it, so there's a huge number of things there which essentially has made it easier for landowners to make the argument that you know, the, pu- the public need to be contained or constrained in some areas. But that only exacerbates the problem, doesn't it? If you don't have access, you don't learn how to kind of be in the countryside, then then you never learn how to do it. You never behave well because you don't know how you're meant to behave. Mm. So the more we're kept off the land, the kind of more that's used as a kind of excuse to keep us away. It's a vicious circle. The level of wild camping that has probably taken place on Dartmoor won't be known because the really good ones yeah. do leave no trace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there might have been hundreds of yeah, thousands yeah, yeah. of people doing it beautifully. And of course, they don't leave a mark. So so who has wild camped around this table? Um, I have not. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Hannah? I have. You have? Okay. Jack, Any? you will have. I know you will have. Well, now, I, this is a weird case I'm throwing in. I haven't. But that's because I've never fully understood... Where, how, why, can I, what can I do, where can I go? Because I don't think there's, I, there may be, and I'm not aware, I, I'm not aware of a place that... It's very simple. 
nowhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> apart I mean, from Scotland, apart from Scotland, we should talk about Scotland. Actually, Scotland, however, it's a totally different camping kettle of fish. <laughs> <laughs> so there, the, the, the decision was passed, I think, relatively recently. And if I'm right, it's uh, since 2005. You've uh, anybody's had a statutory right to roam the landscape. Which in practice means that you can camp, you can walk pretty much anywhere. There are some some restrictions, particularly in some of the national parks where there's sensitive nature reserves and that sort of thing, or there's just too many people like around Loch Lomond. But essentially you can camp, explore, you can park in a lay-by in your camper van and not pay a fee and just as long as you... It's, it's the responsibility It's really important with these things, not leaving rubbish and other unpleasant things behind you. Um, obviously, Scotland has a f- very small population and a, very, and a large amount of landscape. So, uh, But that's different. And it is quite interesting that the, the, the difference between Scotland and then England and Wales is, is very stark. So uh, I, I have well camped in the Brecon Beacons in a place where it is permitted, but I'm not actually able and allowed to divulge where it is because it's a kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, well, do you know what there's an issue something i perhaps will deal with in another podcast but that whole idea of um when when people who own like ten thousand acres uh say well how would you like it if people came and camped in your garden <laughs> well my garden's only 50 feet so i'd be really i'd object to that a lot <laughs> But if I had 10,000 acres, I really don't mind. <laughs> but uh, plus, you know, there's, there's not much space to put a tent up, so uh, they can have a go. Um, but that, that's a false, a false comparison. You can't, uh, and actually quite unfair and insulting to m- most of the population who have tiny, tiny little gardens and plots. Uh, and, and when people say, but no, I have, I have wild camps. And some the issues involved are you've got to carry your own water because there's no water on tap. And so that that is a big, you know, if you can carry your own water miles up onto Dartmoor, because uh, I know people will drink from the streams, but you know, we know all about the water pollution issues in Britain at the moment, and you have to take purification tablets or, or some other way of cleaning your water. But the other thing is what comes out the other end. <laughs> You've got to dispose of that, which is also, because um, I went camping with children, and that's really, you know, teaching them the trowel yeah. <laughs> approach uh, and also just to, to, to be really careful about all of these things. And we did leave no trace and it was pretty good if a little cold and quite lonely at night out in the, out in the woods. But there's also a sense of freedom that comes with it. So I can, I can understand why people like to do it. And plus there's a whole thing of if you're walking across the moor, you don't really want to come off the moor to find a pub to, or, or a campsite. You want to keep going and you just want to drop down for the night, baby bag, sleep, get up, carry on your journey. And there's, there's lots of lots of reasons. Anyway, Maria, what happens next with this story? Well, interestingly, the Labour Party has said that if it is elected to government, um, it will introduce a Right to Roam Act and it will, allow nas- it, will al- it will allow wild camping in all the national parks and increase... Um, public access to nature and to waterways because at, at the moment I think there's it people only have four percent access to four percent of our waterways so that's the labor labor party's view on it that they that, uh, as a result of the Dartmoor as a result it was um issue. Jim McMahon Jim, the shadow Jim McMahon yeah M- Jim McMahon the, the shadow environment secretary when he was on Dartmoor that was his comment right. and um 
yeah, it was I'm understood curious. to be a, a Labour. I think it's being drawn up at the moment that that will be. Do um, we know what the Conservatives, uh, the Conservatives or the government? They've been very quiet. I no, I don't know what the Conservatives' uh, take on this is, but I imagine. Well, I, but I, I do know what the National Farmers Union did give us a comment. Oh, yeah. It's essentially that Britain is um, really gifted in it's two hundred thousand kilometres of public footpaths, rights of way, bridleways, and that farmers work really hard to maintain them. And that really, if you're going to enjoy the countryside responsibly, use the footpaths and then try to stay off the, the land that is there to be worked. And otherwise we have issues with disturbing livestock and so on. And crops, okay. Crops, yeah. yeah, okay, that's interesting. I mean, obviously the right to roam campaigners are saying that's not enough. That's, need, yes, yeah. yeah, exactly okay. that, yeah. That this is an issue we're going to come back to. Dartmoor uh, National Park Authority are challenging the ruling? Yes, they have now decided, Dartmoor National Park Authority have decided that they will appeal the High Court decision. So they're seeking permission to appeal, which is a a stage in the process. Because the the original action was taken against... Dartmoor National Park. Yes, it was the Darwells taking Dartmoor National Park Authority to court in this case. What a thorny issue. Well, listen, if uh, listeners have any thoughts on this, we'd love to hear them because, you know, it's it's a difficult subject just to do in one podcast and we'll do lots more on it. But it's it'd just be good to get a flavour of what people's thoughts are on this, um, whether you support the idea of, of more access or whether you think that public have too much access would just be just good to sort of share some of those views and you can contact me my email address is editor at countryfile.com and as ever the best emails and the best uh, messages we get uh, each week we will send out a lovely book from our podcast library which jack tends with great pastoral care dust it every day dust the library well it's a lot of dusting all those shelves beautiful books as we will gaze at them now so one one thing Sam did talk very passionately and rather angrily about was um, the idea of the, you know, k- kicking people off the land and then allowing pheasant shooting and that sort of thing. And he had a lot to say about the impact of pheasants on the landscape. Uh, now there's, gosh, that opens up a huge can of worms about um, game shooting and uh, and the fact that millions and millions of pheasants are released into the countryside every year. Lots of big issues around that. And I don't want to kind of ignore it, but I think it's something that it's almost too big an issue to just do as a sideline when we've got the big issue of wild camping. So I think with your with Jack and Hannah's agreement and say-so, we'll deal with it another time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's probably one for, for, for perhaps in the autumn when the, when the shooting season starts again, maybe we'll... We'll go out and talk to talk to all the parties and get some 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 of that because I think that is a is a good a good and interesting. It was it was issue. certainly um, a topic that I saw raised on some of the placards at the protest um, really? so that, people... that read uh, there were signs that read thing, um, signs that read peasants not pheasants. Oh, right, for example. okay, nice. So nice. It's, good. it was yeah, definitely yeah. something that was on people's minds. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, we will we will look at these in due course. But for now, I think it's probably time to finish on a slightly lighter note. And Maria, thank you for recording a bit of Sam. Sam, folklorist, singer and campaigner. Here's Sam singing a song about roaming wild in the countryside. When the land whispers, don't be a stranger. That irresistible call. 
to come home to the wandering, swearing allegiance, renew an old contract to wrong. I felt in my heart a great yearning, leave a life so beholden to time. <coughs> So I packed up my promise to face the uncertain, to attend to lost loves and landlines. Seven miles I will walk so uncertain, seven miles I will walk in delight. Seven miles inconsolable morning, seven miles unquestionably right. Some miles my heart will be empty, some miles I will rage and I'll cry. Some miles I will crawl like a mother's baby. But the last smile I will take to the sky. Let journeys outshine destinations, intuition outdestine our fears. Let blisters be teachings with blessings bestowed. Let the darkness restore us as is. And I'll make these pathways my companions, be witnessed by what cannot be seen. Be peregrine, be pasture, be tiny, be vaster. Be as soft as green moss and be free.